Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Below the Fold Half Show, where some of the best content is published on Wednesday. I am Jacob Perry. As a quick reminder, my half shows are designed to give you a look behind the curtain of agency life by highlighting different digital marketing agencies from around the country, or in this case, a freelance digital marketing consultant. To give you a better idea of what it's like to work in digital marketing, I'm going to be traveling around the country interviewing some of the best and brightest in the business. Now, I was reading an article the other day and a quote kind of came up in it. It reminded me of the person that I interviewed for this specific episode. The quote was by a, a woman named Angela Vitztham. She's a mobile app developer out of Chicago, and here's what she said. She said, people who are adaptable, outgoing, driven, and able to talk to anyone will do well at agencies. To get the job done, you must be comfortable speaking up and asking questions, close quote. It's almost as if she had the guy I sat down with in mind when she said this. He's very outgoing and driven. Comfortable speaking up? Mm, yeah. Let's meet him. For this episode, we're going to New York. Welcome to New York City, one of the world's greatest cities. It is unrivaled in the diversity of its neighborhoods and their often colorful residents. New York runs the gamut from great concentrations of wealth to the grinding urban poverty of its ethnic and racial ghettos. It is also a cultural mecca that has attracted generations of artists and intellectuals, including this episode's guest, Tom Critchlow. A special thank you to Encyclopedia.com for that wonderful description of New York City. So several weeks ago, I was on a business trip to the East Coast, and uh, well, specifically, I was in Atlantic City, but I got a hold of Tom, and uh, he agreed to be on the show, so I, I took the two-hour drive up to New York City and, and sat down with him and had a really, really great conversation. But before we get too deep into the conversation, I thought I'd just have him introduce himself. Hi, I'm Tom Critchlow. I'm originally from the UK, been uh, living in New York for five years now. Uh, I got into digital marketing working for a company called Distilled, um, which is actually founded by my brother. Uh, nepotism is a great thing. Um, worked there for a while. That was what brought me to New York um, to open the New York office for Distilled back in 2011. Um, I went to work for Google for a couple of years, um, left there about 18 months ago. Uh, and since then, I've been uh, doing some freelance marketing consulting and building an art startup called Fiercely Curious. So before we move too far on, I want to go back in time sure. and talk about when and where or, or what was the catalyst that got you into digital marketing to, to begin with. So a lot of it is attributed to my brother, Will, uh, Will Critchlow. He founded Distilled just over 10 years ago. And at the time, I was working a pretty crappy job in finance. I just graduated from college. Uh, it was not a good job in finance. I was shuffling papers. Um, um, my brother said, hey, why don't you come work on the web? We're doing some interesting things. And at the time, uh, the company that he had uh, was just doing web development, web design. There was no SEO, no digital marketing component. And so I went to work for a digital agency, which was not my brother's. Um, it's a company called Blue Media um, in the north of England. And there I kind of learned a little bit about SEO. And back then, you know, SEO was relatively straightforward. There are only a couple of components to it. It was kind of keywords and some basic link building. Um, and there really wasn't much more than that. Uh, a few technical, you know, bits and pieces. Um, 
And so I started to, to get up to speed with that uh, and, you know, knew enough to be dangerous, certainly back then. And in the UK, the market was small for, for SEO professionals. Well, I was going to ask if SEO is done differently over on that side of the world. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, certainly it was a, back then it was a smaller discipline. No one had really heard of it. And, and uh, you know, I don't think it was that big over here either back then, but certainly it was a more of an industry. When you say back then, how far, how far back are we going? Uh, this is, I mean, close to, close to 10 years ago now, okay. uh, maybe nine years ago. Um, yeah, that must have been about when I when I got into this. Um, so anyway, so I so I, I you know I, I emailed my brother and I said, hey, I want a new job. Uh, what do you think? And he said, yeah, why don't you come work for us? So it was me, uh, Will, and Duncan, um, who was his uh, co-founder, um, and a few other folks doing the the web design stuff. And I came on board to basically do SEO for their clients. That you know they had these kind of small mom and pop. Sh- uh, uh, clients like uh, restaurants and hairdressers and so on and I was doing SEO for them um, and uh, you know we started out really small um, and then we started to grow and we were one of the few agencies in the UK that was focused specifically on search at the time um, we had a pretty even balance between the web design work and the search work that we did whereas everyone else all of our competitors were way heavier on the web design and, mm-hmm. and, and search was an afterthought you know marketing digital marketing was an afterthought uh, and so we really cared about it and we tried to do a good job and we you know read all the latest and greatest and uh, that was also how we got our big break because uh, distilled all, all of the distilled employees really would hang out in the SEO Moz comments now mm-hmm. moz.com uh, and so we got to know Rand uh, Rand Fishkin and he started to refer traffic to distilled uh, you know the clients that wanted a specific UK agency um, and he sent a couple key clients our way we did a good job they went back to Rand and said, hey, those distilled folks, they did a pretty good job. Uh, and so Rand just opened the floodgates and just sent tons of business our way, which was amazing. Uh, you know, the, the, those early years, we really founded a lot on, uh, on that referral network um, and the strength of, you know, obviously us participating in the community and so on. But, uh, you know, Rand really made a big difference in, in the trajectory of the company and, and also just personally helped us grow. And, you know, it was nice to, to feel connected to more folks that were doing this and passionate about it. Again, back then in the UK, the, there was an industry, but it was nascent and, Again, a lot of folks were were treating search as an afterthought. Mm -hmm. It wasn't kind of a primary focus. One of the things that we talk about a lot on Below the Fold is the topic of in-house versus agency versus freelance work. Now, we talk about this mostly because we kind of have those different backgrounds, but it's often one of the questions that listeners have when they're looking to get into digital marketing. They want to find the best fit for them. And this is actually one of the topics that we, we kind of went through with Tom. And here's how it went. So you started at an agency, and then you moved to an in-house position, and now you're freelancing. For those folks who may be listening, trying to decide which avenue to take for themselves, what insights can you provide in each one, maybe some pros and cons, and what you've kind of learned over the years? Sure. I mean, I think it depends where you are in your career and what you're looking for. Um, and obviously, again, I should caveat this by saying a lot of agencies are different. A lot of companies are different. You know, it's very difficult to generalize in many ways. But the one thing that I have found, uh, at least in my own career, working at an agency gets you far more uh, experience in far more things, right? So you're exposed to a lot of different clients, a lot of different environments. It's very fast paced. 
and you don't typically go deep on any one client, but you get exposed to a lot of clients. Um, certainly uh, at a kind of small agency, you really get thrown in the deep end. Uh, you know, I remember when I opened the distilled office in New York, you know, I hired a bunch of relatively junior folks mm-hmm. and then got a bunch of clients and then, you know, tried to keep the wheel on the bus uh, as, we, as we went for it. Uh, but, you know, you get a lot of exposure and you get a lot of exposure very fast. And so, um, you know, certainly earlier in your career, I think agency is a good place to, to kind of cut your teeth and just get exposure to a lot of different problems. Um, you know, and that's often the value that a lot of clients will come to an agency for just that depth sorry not the depth but the the breadth of experience um, across uh, different edge cases different situations that working in-house maybe you haven't been exposed to the flip side of that is working in-house you often get a lot more structure um, you often get a lot bigger budget Mm -hmm. so uh, you know for example when I was at Google uh, you know it was not uncommon to spend a million dollars on something yeah. Whether that was producing a video or whether it was an ad spend or whether it was running a TV ad or whatever it might be. Uh, and, and a lot of budgets are obviously bigger than that. But, you know, certainly those kind of budgets were not tossed around, but, uh, you know, not uncommon. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot of money to somebody coming from an agency world. Uh, and so I think that, you know, when you go in-house, you get a lot bigger budget, you get more process. Um, you get to work on projects that typically have a, a two to three year time horizon. So when you're in-house, you know, you can get frustrated and say, well, why aren't we doing X? You know, why don't we have a new website? Or why don't we have a new product? Or whatever it might be. Not realizing that inside a big company, those things just take time. It takes you a long time to figure out how to launch something, how to build it, how to staff up the team with the expertise and knowledge to get it done. Um, and so I think that you have to have a little patience when you go in-house. Uh, you know, I think that you have to kind of be willing to go for the long haul. Uh, not that you have to go for 10 years, yeah. but I think you have to go long enough that you can see some projects through start to finish. And that can take a while. Um, the flip side of both agency world and in-house uh, is that I think there are great opportunities at both to build your network, your personal network, um, as long as you're motivated to do so. So both agencies and in-house, you can kind of hide in the corner a little bit and you know, not get famous, not write blog posts, not share your thinking with the world. Um, uh, but that's a mistake. You know, it's, uh, it's really important to build a personal network, not in any kind of sleazy way. Like I don't, hmm. you know, and I, and I hate LinkedIn. I, I don't really use LinkedIn. But more so just connecting with folks that you find interesting and uh, are capable of doing interesting things in the world. You know, I talked about building a website, for example, yeah. and putting things out in the world. I've always tried to surround myself with people that can put things out in the world, whether that's writing, whether it's design, whether it's websites, videos, whatever. Like I've always enjoyed surrounding myself with people who are creative in one form or another. They don't have to be a designer. They don't have to be a developer, but people that can just put things out in the world. Um, and you shun the ones that say they thought about doing it. Exactly. Well, and, 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 <laughs> you know, I, I really like, I have a lot of friends right now that, uh, I have, in my opinionated viewpoint, I think should be blogging more because yeah. I think they have a lot of interesting things um, to share with the world. And I have a lot of tolerance for them when they're not. That's fine. But I will also kick their ass and say, you really should be doing this just because yeah. it, you know, it leverages your network. It gets you a bigger personal brand and so on. And you know, the only reason we talk about personal brand is not for some abstract concept of getting more Twitter followers, but because it makes a real genuine difference to A, getting a good job uh, and B, getting freelance clients, right? So this brings me to my third point you asked about you know, the difference between agency world, mm-hmm. uh, in-house and freelance. Well, I think um, my best advice for somebody considering going freelance is don't do it unless you have a network, right? So don't do it unless you've been to an agency or been in-house and gathered a, a community of people around you that can A, pass you work, uh, B, be a support system, um, and C, just, you know, uh, I think you, I think I don't know what it would look like to go freelance early in your career where you don't have the opportunity to learn from folks around you. Um, you know, I think 
uh, it's one of the things that I struggle with being freelance actually is where do I get my learning from? You know, who, who do I look to or who do I turn to uh, who can tell me my work is kind of crap and mm-hmm. I should do it better next time. Mm-hmm. You don't have anyone telling me my work is crap. Uh, and I don't think that's because it's perfect. I think it's because, uh, you know, being self-employed, you don't really have people to, um, to give you that kind of feedback, certainly in any kind of structured format. Um, so it's one of the things that I'm looking at right now is, you know, I spend a lot of time hanging out with other folks who are also freelance or self-employed and trying to use them explicitly like a support network and, and a feedback group to kind of say, hey, I made this thing and, you know, anonymizing where it makes sense, but sharing documents, proposals, uh, work that we've done, insights that we've had uh, and blog posts to come back to a, to a point, um, sharing all of that and saying, asking for advice, saying, what do you think? Is this good? Is it bad? What am I missing? You know, what have you seen? Uh, and and you, I think you have to be a bit hungry for that. I think you have to intentionally go out and seek that because it's not going to come to you otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, if you work from home and, and, you know, just work with your clients, no one's ever going to give you that feedback. So no, I um, think that's great. Yeah. Now, from here, we moved on to creative process. I think it's interesting that every single digital marketer that I know and in my experience has done things differently. They go about uh, their creativity in different ways. They find inspiration in different things. So I sat Tom down and I said, Tom, what creative process do you abide by? And here's what he said. Yeah, drink far too much coffee, stay up too late, and, and occasionally have some <laughs> inspiration. Yeah. Uh, that's always been my formula, uh, not that it always works. Um, uh, no, I mean, I think, you know, you talk about creativity, uh, you know, it's interesting, working in search 10 years ago, there wasn't really much creativity needed. You know, it was very uh, analytical, it was very formulaic. Uh, you know, you could find the keywords and you could put them on the page sometimes many, many times, uh, and, and that would result in rankings. And then, you know, in the intervening years, we've really had an explosion in content, content marketing, uh, far more creative digital advertising. Um, and there's a whole industry there now. Um, I think when I went to work at Google for a couple of years, I worked for a team inside Google called the Creative Lab. Um, and that was really eye-opening for me working alongside, I would say, you know, quote-unquote true creatives, uh, you know, people that, that live and breathe, um, you know, creative output, whether that's video or copywriting or uh, design. Um, and that was really interesting to me just to see the, the, the process that you go through um, and how large a team you often need to actually get something creative out the door. You know, like a video or you know, a film, for example, uh, just requires a huge number of people. Not huge, but, but you know, certainly uh, a reasonably sized team just to execute against all the pieces you need, whether it's lighting, sound design, uh, you know, motion graphics, uh, music, uh, animation, copywriting. You know, it was really interesting to me yeah. seeing how many disciplines um, all, all roll into one object that we typically kind of take for granted. You, know, you consume so much video uh, and you don't quite realize the, the process that goes into it. Uh, and that was also my first exposure to... Uh, you know, true creative directors and that kind of, you know, the, the, the model and structure of ad agencies because the creative lab inside Google is, you know, functions a lot like an ad agency. And so it was interesting to me playing in that realm where previously coming from the search world, I'd never dealt with a creative mm-hmm. director in my life. You know, uh, we'd done a bunch of creative work and, and, you know, done a lot of creative content, but had never done quote unquote true creative in the way that ad agencies do. Uh, so that was kind of exciting and interesting. Now, to kind of end this segment where we've kind of been just jumping from topic to topic, I want to jump into this last topic about sharing your secret sauce. And uh, I'll set it up here. So uh, several weeks ago, we had an episode about whether or not you need you share your secret sauce. And we talked about how 
our industry is notorious for finding out these new amazing tools or new techniques and tactics. And then the first thing they do is they go to a conference and they share it with everybody. And we talked about how typically in most circumstances, when you're talking with other digital marketers, they're your competition. So as far as personal branding goes and getting your name out there and, you know, building that network, do you think building or revealing or sharing that secret sauce or whatever gives you that competitive advantage is a good thing or are there other ways to go around it to kind of keep kind of that proprietary information to yourself while at the same time providing value? So I, I guess it's a, a two-sided question. On the one hand, I don't really believe there is too much secret sauce. Mm. I think for the most part, you know, any kind of secret sauce is likely short-lived and, yeah. and short-term thinking. Not to say that there aren't, you know, quote-unquote growth hacks and things sure. that you can do that will uh, get good results. Certainly, in today's environment, I think around Facebook and Google, especially the the technical under like uh, the technical structure of a lot of the platforms that we play on are changing so rapidly that there are actually certain times when there is quote-unquote secret source because either the platforms themselves haven't figured out how to close a loophole or nobody else has yet taken advantage of some particular structure or markup or whatever. But that said, most of the time that's pretty marginal and it's always short-term thinking. Uh, so for the most part, you know, I don't necessarily believe there is a ton of secret source floating around. Um, the flip side of that is... I have always found more value in giving away the knowledge than you know, holding your cards close to your chest. <clears throat> and this was one of the things that we found at Distilled. Uh, you know, we would blog about a particular topic and we give away the whole the whole thing. You know, we'd say, "Here's how you do X from start to finish," and we'd have clients banging down the door saying, "Can you can you do X for us?" And we'd be like, "Well, we just told you how to do it in the blog post," mm-hmm. and they'd be like, "Yeah, but." That doesn't. We still need somebody. We, to do we it have for mon- us. we have a million dollar budget. We can pay you to do that for us. Exactly. Uh, and so I think that you know that philosophy has always rung true for me. I've always found way more value in sharing the knowledge. Uh, you know whether that's through clients coming or just making uh, networks connections um, or building reputation. You know if you keep all your cards cards close to your test, it's really difficult for people to know what you know. It's difficult for people to get that validation and say, oh, Tom knows a lot about that because mm-hmm. you know he's written a bunch of topics about it. Um, so I, you know, I've always preference to open sharing, and I think again, coming back to where my career started at Distilled, and you know, modeling ourselves from uh, SEO Moz, you know, they're obviously totally transparent. And Rand's you know, philosophy, grounding philosophy was always about transparency. So I think a lot of that rubbed off as well. I think I've always I've seen the value, the long term value in in just opening the kimono and sharing, yeah. uh, you know, whatever it is, whether that's painful sometimes. You know, Rand has shared a ton of posts over the years about uh, you know both things business wise and personal wise that uh, a lot of people I think would be scared to share. Yeah. Um, but you look at the you know the um, not only the support network that he's built off that, but also the actual genuine business value that he's built off that community. Uh, you know, I think demonstrates the value and and for the most part sharing what you can um, and that generally being the preference in my penultimate segment which is called three questions i ask tom three questions the first one if you could only pick two digital marketing tactics what would they be and why then we go on to question two what do you think the biggest mistakes digital marketers are currently making and then finally i ask him about digital marketing predictions for the next 12 months here's how it goes so if, if you, Tom, could only pick two digital marketing tactics, what would they be and why? And kind of the backstory here, is, or not necessarily the backstory, but kind of going into this thing, biggest bang for your buck. So you can only do two digital marketing tactics, whether it's budget constraints or 
your boss is telling you, you know, whatever, what, uh, what are the two things that you would do to get the biggest bang for your buck? That's a hard question, especially in today's world. There are so many different things that you can do. I, I think I'd have to double down on content. And the second one would either be, I mean, acquisition is probably too broad a topic. Uh, I, I think email is a good one. I think, you know, the, 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 um, the two-pronged approach of content and email. I think so create would, the content and then send it out to your... Yeah. Your, well, I mean, you know, it's a virtuous cycle, right? You yeah. build the content, that builds an email list, and then you send the content to the email list mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, that works. If you can only do two things, yeah. that works quite nicely because they feed off each other. Um, you know, and I think they're pretty versatile. Uh, not to say that, you know, I think direct acquisition is uh, obviously a huge driver of actual sales and leads. I think um, I saw a great uh, study... Um, by Capost, I think it was, that showed, this was a few years ago now, um, they showed that the average time for ROI to be positive on content marketing is two years, which I think is, you know, potentially true. It takes a while, yeah, right? You it know, does. it takes a while for, for the results to kick in, it takes a while to build an audience, it takes a while to build a community. Um, but again, if I can only pick two things for the rest of my life, <laughs> yeah, uh, those feel like pretty good bets. Create content and email. I think so. I think yeah. that's great. What is the biggest mistake you think digital marketers are currently making? I should say, what are one of the biggest? Because there are a lot. There are a lot of mistakes that digital marketers are making. But one of of the biggest mistakes that in the industry digital marketers are making. That's a great question. I think that we are seeing seeing, seeing an explosion in page views. And what I mean by that is it's never been easier to get more eyeballs on your stuff, right? Whether that's on Facebook, on Twitter, on Medium, on your own personal site. There are just so many more channels, so many different ways of reaching people, so many different ways of getting exposure. And I think that we are forgetting, as, as digital marketers, we are forgetting the more meaningful metrics. And so, you know, obviously I think acquisition marketers have it easy in a sense because they have the hard metric of conversions so you can you can see ROI directly but everyone that isn't touching that direct ROI metric I think the analysis that we're doing and the um, you know the way that we measure our audience is a little bit backwards Um, so I saw uh, you know I think BuzzFeed is actually leading the way in this ironically despite the fact that they get more page views than probably anyone else out there they're trying really hard to tie it back to action so if you actually listen to Jonah Peretti, the CEO of, of BuzzFeed, he talks a lot about trying to produce content that actually produces action in their audience. Whether that is you know signing up for a weight loss program because you know the audience wants to get in shape, or uh, starting to eat healthier, or uh, you know doing one of their like arts and crafts projects that they blog about, rather than just tweeting about it or putting it on Facebook or you know watching another video. Um, and I think that, that there's a really interesting message there because. Uh, you know, like I said, it's never been easier to get page views. And I think that when you look at the metrics, it can get easy, it can be easy to forget that we're dealing with real humans and real emotions. And I think that this comes all the way full circle back to brand building, right? Is, is actually, you know, what do people think of your brand? Yeah, maybe, sure, they, maybe they visit your website or maybe they watched your video on Facebook. But what has that actually changed about their perception? What has that actually changed about how important you are to them? And I think that's the flip side of this is it's never been easier to get page views. And yet it's also never been easier for people to forget who you are. Never been easier for you to have a brand that gets, you know, tons of eyeballs, 
but no loyalty, no yeah. no retention. And I, and I think that that's probably one of the biggest mistakes that I'm seeing right now is you know people focusing on the, those top line metrics and kind of forgetting the fundamentals of marketing, which is really about brand building and brand loyalty and retention. And again, I think the, the folks on the acquisition side have a lot more of those metrics figured out. And I think there's a big gap in between the people working on that uh, side of the fence and the people working on the other side of the fence who are really, you know, primarily focused on growth, on, on you know, uh, page views and, and uh, you know, those kind of metrics. Um, and, you know, again, not to say that you can't get a lot of page views and that's not the right thing sometimes, but I think as an industry, yeah. that's one of the blind spots is, is forgetting about the, the actual value of the audience rather than just the size of the audience. Yeah, I love that. Last question. What is one digital marketing prediction you'd make for the next year? So in the next 12 months, what's something that's going to kind of make its mark in 2016? So I'd love to give you an answer about page views that, that would tie back to the, the thing that I just said. But actually, I've got a much stronger prediction, which is about location. I think uh, 2016 is going to be the year of location, finally, uh, just like it was always the year of mobile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, until eventually, you know, everything was mobile in a way that we never could have predicted. Mm -hmm. In the same way, it's been the year of mobile quote unquote, for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think finally we're there. I think, uh, you know, we're reaching an inflection point between uh, location tracking being always on and being good enough on our devices. Uh, we're seeing things like Foursquare launching a location ad product. Uh, Google and Facebook are obviously building location ad products. And we're seeing the evolution of uh, the physical web um, from Google, uh, which is based on, on Bluetooth, uh, and Beacons, which is also based on Bluetooth. Um, all of these things are kind of uh, colliding in my mind to the point where by the end of 2016, I think we'll, we'll, there will be some things that are dramatically different about location than there are today. You know, we'll be either in a much better place to track uh, some of these metrics offline than we've typically been able to, or there'll just be new interaction models starting to emerge. Um, and so I think, you know, I don't think it will have changed the landscape by the end of the year, but I think by the end of the year, there will be some key things in place that people will be will be talking about. Um, oh, and Snapchat geo filters. Oh yeah, that was the other one I forgot to mention. Was uh, you know obviously uh, it, it has questionable value right now, I guess. Uh, although obviously it could be a revenue stream for Snapchat, but um, I think that again it's just another proof point about how big location is going to be. Okay, we are now entering our last segment, which is called Last Word. For those of you that have listened to previous episodes, you'll be familiar with Last Word. It's 60 seconds of uninterrupted time to say pretty much whatever you want. And I gave Tom this, this same opportunity. And here is Tom's last word. Uh, start a website. I, I said it before, but it's the number one thing. Just start a website. Any kind of website will do. Put some content on it uh, and email it to some folks. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got was don't write for a generic audience, but write for a specific audience. So find somebody that you respect, somebody who's a little bit further along in their career or somebody that you just admire um, write something that you think will be interesting for them and send it to them you do that often enough and, and uh, well enough and, and you'll be all set well that's all I've got that's it if you want to reach out with any feedback questions submit topic ideas you can reach out to us at inbound at below the alternatively if you want to get in touch with Tom Critchlow you can go to his website at Tom Critchlow dot com.